woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Mark chapter 4 verses 38, 39 and 40. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? That's the question which Jesus puts to his disciples. And the content of that is what I want to unpack this morning. What were the disciples afraid of? And in what was their faith deficient? In what did they not believe? And I hope that you know, so many of the gospel stories, um, well, it's, it's kind of a mixture. Some of the, in so many of the gospel stories, the disciples are set forward as a positive example. Jesus sends them out on mission and they do earnest, trusting mission and proclaim the gospel and we should go and do likewise. But often, before they receive the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, when we hear these stories of the disciples, they sometimes hold up for us like a negative example. Like, and they're recorded in the gospel for that reason, to show us, don't be like this. You know, not faithless, but believing, be. Don't be like Thomas. Be like those who believed. And so I want to unpack the very things that the disciples were afraid of and lacked, um, so that we might learn, actually, by sort of negative example, that we would learn to be less afraid and to have more faith. So those two things, it's pretty simple. Um, what were the disciples afraid of? At one level, it's fairly plain. They were in a terrible storm in a little first century fishing boat, which would not have been an enormous craft, uh, nor incredibly seaworthy. Um, and they were afraid for their own lives, right? I mean, there's this big storm. There was a natural human instinct for survival, and they were afraid. And this is uh, perfectly natural. But I think even more than that, what we see in the Gospel, in this whole account, what they were afraid of, was the power Jesus demonstrated in being able to calm wind and waves. Because Jesus doesn't say, when he, uh, he calms the wind and the waves, and he doesn't say, oh, what were you afraid of? Which would be um, kind of a funny question, because it was fairly obvious. They came to him saying, our lives are in peril. He doesn't say, what were you afraid of? He says, what are you afraid of? Meaning that even when the wind and the waves were calmed, the disciples were still freaking out. <laughs> and I think the thing that they were afraid of was Jesus and his power. And I, this is actually why whoever long ago orchestrated um, that Job would be a parallel reading for us today, that same feeling that Job has when God unveils himself with his power and describes the power he manifested in making the world and the seas. And Job is sort of terrified and stands back, right? And gets, is bowled over by God's response. I think the disciples would have felt very similarly to see Jesus control with a word waves and wind. It would have been really terrifying. They would have had a right and, and healthy fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord isn't just fear of God the Father. It's fear, healthy fear of the Son as well. I don't think... Um, Either of these things, natural fear of dying uh, or fear of Jesus' power, would have been quite so scary for the disciples if they'd have had more faith. That's what Jesus is connecting, that their lack of faith is what led to their profound fear. I think a storm is always scary at some level, but there would have been less fear if they'd have had more faith. Which raises the question, um, faith in what? Right? Faith always has an object which it's beholding. 
in what did the disciples not believe? I think, again, it's somewhat multifaceted. The first unbelief that they show in the Gospel account is they didn't really believe that God cared about their well-being. Right? When they wake Jesus up, they say, don't you care that we're perishing? Sort of implying, and you only ask that question if there's some doubt, if you think that he really might not care. And I think that's a lie as prevalent then as now. This sort of false idea that because God is so big or so, you know, sort of cosmically far away, even as he's really near or too busy or whatever, we kind of get this idea that because our lives are small in comparison, that they're insignificant and God doesn't care. And this is a lie. The truth is, God does care. God does care. The disciples didn't believe it but he, in this moment, but he does care. He cares about our well-being. As part of this also, I think the disciples didn't apprehend Jesus rightly. They thought that because he was sleeping, that he was not in control of what was going on. And I actually did not pick up on this idea until sort of looking at how some of the early church interpreters read this story. And that was the big thing they latch on to. That just because Jesus is sleeping doesn't mean he's not still the word of God, as it says in Colossians, in whom all things hold together that he could be catching a nap in a boat and still be in charge of waves and wind and the lives of his disciples. But the disciples didn't have faith to see that he was, in fact, more than a man, more than just a man sleeping. He was always, even when sleeping, the word of God, the second person of the Trinity. I think it's worth distilling that the appearance, it appeared like Jesus wasn't acting but he was still acting. He was still holding the universe together. And there's a lesson there I'll come back to in just a minute. But this sort of rapidly unfolds on the third thing the disciples didn't grasp. They wouldn't fully grasp until Jesus had been raised from the dead in power, until they received the Holy Spirit to be able to comprehend who Jesus really was, simply that he was fully God. That only the person who made the sea could talk to the sea and tell it to stop making waves, right? that the same God who revealed himself to Job and said, I made these things, revealed himself in Jesus Christ as the God of the universe, able to make and able to control all that exists. Jesus is fully God. So those are the things that the disciples didn't fully believe in. In this juncture that we read about, of course, they would come to fully believe when they received power from on high and then proclaimed this very gospel that Jesus is fully God, starting on Pentecost and for the rest of their lives. Um, before I, some of these connections are clear, but before I m map on how this might affect our day-to-day -day life, I want to point out as a very important aside that Jesus calmed the waves and the wind before the disciples had enough faith. This encourages and comforts me greatly, right? It wasn't like there's this terrible storm and he's like, okay, when you get enough faith, then I'll calm it. He just steps in as the master of the universe, calms everything, and then says, I wish you'd have had more faith. <laughs> To paraphrase. Um, and I think there's something very comforting for us in that, that the Lord acts well far and beyond in our lives what we have faith to apprehend. Thanks be to God. If his working was always constrained by our faith, we would not see very much of God's provision and power in our lives. But in fact we do. It's not contingent on how much we fail or succeed in our belief. So, um, I said that I think... 
we should not imitate the disciples in their unbelief, but should in fact believing be. So let me just map on the positive truth, the thing that we can believe in. That Jesus who, in the story we heard this morning, was asleep in a boat, the Jesus who would then later die on a cross, was raised from the dead and is right now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for each of us personally and for his whole church. The Jesus that we pray to, the Jesus whose blood reconciled us to God, he does care about us. He does care about our well-being, our health, and our stresses, and all the little parts of our life. And what I love is that Peter, who was in that boat when Jesus was sleeping, learned that lesson. And he would later write, the years after this event in the boat with the storm, would write to the churches in 1 Peter chapter 5, cast your anxieties on him because he cares about you. Some of my, some of my favorite, like such tender words in the New Testament. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter, at one point, didn't believe that. Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And then he saw that, of course Jesus cares that he's perishing. Of course Jesus cares about his life and his well-being. And so Peter teaches that truth in his letter and in his ministry. I love seeing the connection when you see in the letters of the apostles, things which they, you, you see that they learned in their being with Jesus. So Jesus does care about us. And it's not a care without power to influence. He is all-powerful. Even though we will suffer in this life, the disciples did actually were miserable in a horrible storm for a while before Jesus calmed it. And the lesson there is that being a Christian doesn't mean we won't suffer. We will, like all human beings. But Jesus does have the power to calm any storm. He, as God of the universe... It doesn't require some special effort for him. It's easy for him to do so. We ask him for help, and eventually he does calm every storm. Some of them are very long. But there's a prayer I recently learned that speaks of the toils of this troublesome life will soon be over, <laughs> that no storm lasts forever. Jesus, as it were, to speak kind of metaphorically now, will wake up, right? He appears to be in a, uh, not doing anything, but he will actually show himself awoken, doing things. Maybe in our lives, maybe we'll see healing and recovery and strength and provision that we need. But ultimately, sort of the fullest meaning of when does Jesus wake up, when he comes again, the second time, to establish his reign permanently and visibly on earth. And when he comes into our lives, when he comes again, his words are the same as we heard in the gospel. He will say to everything that's broken and chaotic and wicked, peace, peace, be still. It's a word of command. It's not a plea. It's a command. Peace, be still. Everything will be set. The winds will, will cease and there will be, I love this language, a dead calm. The perfect peace of a dead calm. And I think those same words that he says to what's troublesome in the end, He's speaking those words to us now, right? Peace, be still. It's what we hear the psalmist remind us in Psalm 46. Be still. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he's going to say to the waves, be still. Be still. When we really have faith in God's power and is a knowledge that he cares for us, it should lead us into a quietness of heart, a stillness, a peace of heart, even in the midst of the worst storms. The, the d apostles who were in that boat, 
they went through things far worse than a nasty storm in the course of their ministries. Right? Paul catalogues them. We spoke about them a few Sundays ago. Um, beatings and imprisonments and all kinds of horrible metaphorical storms. But they had peace in those ones because they knew that God was in charge. They knew that God cared. And they knew that he would one day set everything at peace. So they had peace. I pray that the Holy Spirit, through uh, receiving this word of the gospel today, through receiving the sacrament, would bring more of that peace which passes all understanding into each of your lives uh, as the storms come and go, or, or even are present right now. Amen.